ready to achieve great heights, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Power Your Performance, the podcast where we dive deep with leaders in the gaming world and beyond and learn the techniques they use to power their lives. I am your host, Gary Kleinman. Braden Shepard, so nice to have you on Power Your Performance. Gary, thanks for having me. Ah, just, it. It's great. So Happy to be here. You are the president of uh, Shepard Media, right? That's what it's, Shepard Media, and it's a uh, social media consulting content creation agency, correct? Exactly, yeah. How yeah, long have so you been doing that? It, yeah, so I have been, um, I created Shepherd Media about a year ago now, I want to say, and uh, that kind of came about from my content creation career. So as a content creator, you know, um, we, we go through a lot of uh, different branding deals. We're doing a lot of um, a business kind of behind the scenes that uh, most people aren't aware of. And I thought that uh, as, as I kind of developed my skills as a content creator, not only on the creative side, but also the analytical side and the business side of things, uh, it would be a, a good idea to actually establish a business where um, I'm, I'm not only protecting myself as a content creator, because this is what you'll see commonly in the industry that uh, content creators will actually establish an LLC to protect themselves as they work under that umbrella. Right. right. So if I right. break any NDAs, I'm protected through there. But also um, I, I saw it as an opportunity to establish a, a business where um, I can bring insight Um particularly KOL insight to a lot of these businesses that are trying to branch out and into the gaming atmosphere and specifically in the content creation side of things. Right. So, so we'll, we'll get to all that. Um, yeah. what, I, what I love to do is hear somebody's story. So I won't take you back to birth, but I will take okay. you back to um, what's probably most relevant is your days at really what was the probably the first content creator in lifestyle was Machinima. And yeah. uh, they were a floor below me in an office building in Burbank about three or four mm. years ago. At, uh, we, we had a bunch of room in a WeWork building, um, and they were there. We actually talked about doing some shows together several years ago. But tell me about getting to Machinima, why, what that process was like, and is that where you created um, kind of your, 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 your chops? at content creation. Yeah, that's so interesting that you were actually, um, you know, so close to them and uh, even like in contact with them. So uh, as a content creator, um, kind of stepping back to where my, uh, where my, uh, where I kind of started my foundation, right? right. Um, I was creating content on YouTube and this is where I came across Machinima. So, Back in 2010, 2011, Machinima was what you would call like a premier network of gaming entertainment. They were so, the first, for my estimation, yeah. they were really the first that got in yeah. there from a, a true content creation, stories, uh, and even went to some longer form content long before anybody else did it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, they really established themselves as the entity to be uh, in the gaming atmosphere. And uh, what I remember them just so vividly by is how they told their stories through gaming content um, while partnering with these with with creators. The way that they were able to tell stories was just uh, it, it really kind of eye opening to me. The opportunities and uh, the way that they kind of seem to just have endless creativity is what really uh, struck me as like uh, so so cool back in the day. Yeah, it um, was. And, you know, now that I think about it, and I haven't actually thought about it until I asked you the question, is yeah. it's kind of shocking that they didn't last. I mean, they were, they, were they just too early in just before gaming, as I say, it's no longer a cry for help. It's actually a legitimate industry and people are making money and there's careers in front of the camera, behind the camera, in, in thousands of different positions. Were they just a tad bit too early in the type of content that they were creating or the limited distribution that they were actually engaged in because there's so many other formats now to distribute that content. What are your thoughts? That, that's it. Honestly, that's a great question. Um, so as mentioned, it, it was such a successful company back whenever I could remember it. Um, and to see them kind of fall under was really surprising to me. I do think you're right though. So a company like Machinima in 2010, 2011 was very successful, but their longevity was not there. It's probably because they didn't, they did, they, it was honestly a critical error on their side, just not seeing it through correctly. So whether it was revenue share, you know, right. um, at partnering with creators or whether it was, uh, you know, limitations and the content that they were like looking into, right? Like maybe siloing themselves too much. Yeah, it I mean, was, it's just uh, interesting because they, they certainly had a budget, right? And, right. and and they had some great content and incredible content, really smart people. Uh, and then when Warner yeah. Brothers took them over, maybe they just got lost in corporate America and, and, and the powers that be um, had no clue what to do with gaming and probably could not foresee at the time how large that market has become and we'll get into esports because I know you have a passion in esports, but just the overall gaming of which esports is just a part of, it, it, it just seems to me that Warner Brothers couldn't put its finger on that pulse, even though they were a publisher of games. I don't think they recognized or anybody else recognized at the time that the distribution of that content had value. Right. Yeah, there, well, there was no opportunity for monetization back then. Yeah. Is what you, you were getting at that too. Yep, um, right. And that's fascinating because it's not that yeah. long ago. I mean, when you think about it in, in the arc of time, it feels like forever. But it really isn't that much time that has uh, passed that the world has changed so dramatically for, as you just said, the monetization of that type content. What kind of content were you producing at Machinima? Because if that's foundational, it will be interesting to see how you use that foundation uh, to become the success that you are, not only for yourself, but the other influencers and brands that you work with. Absolutely. Yeah. So as a content creator, I was still in the gaming atmosphere, obviously working with Machinima. Right. Right. Um, but I was more known as a what you would call like a professional type of gamer where I played at a very high skill level um, in the FPS genre. So I was on the uh, what we would call like the Call of Duty arc of content creation where, um, you know, companies uh, such as like FaZe, 
maybe soar. These uh, very, mm-hmm. I mean, for, to, nowadays they're very well known in the gaming atmosphere, but back then we were fairly small. Um, so I came up with those, with those organizations, uh, the people who established them, I was, I was there. Um, I helped establish them and not necessarily phase, but soar, which is another, uh, a team in the, in the gaming atmosphere. And, um, and so that's the kind of content that I was creating was like, uh, entertainment where we would do things in games that people couldn't do, uh, back then people, most people were not thinking about it. And we kind of took the gaming, uh, content, uh, seen by storm back then there was, there was really nothing that matched us. Well, yeah, and it was like the wild, wild west. And you, you, you right. basically had a, a blank canvas to write against. Uh, exactly. and, and it did incredibly well until it didn't. And, and it, it's just one of those things, um, uh, that you wonder if it's, it's more about timing than anything else, because the, the brain trust was there. The, the content was fantastic. Um, they were really the only ones to go to for that content uh, because it was it was past G4 and what have you. So it's just interesting that they're a dinosaur uh, when people are trying to replicate what they did with, as you said, monetization to it. So when you left Machinima, what came next? I just want to first say that like, yep. I love uh, that you are like online, uh, like in line with G4 and can talk those timelines because I don't talk to many people that actually know G4. Well, the, so, you know what? You can, um, you can see my gray hair and you'll know I'm old enough to know about G4. So, yes. No, I love uh, it. I love it. <laughs> well, but you know, really if you're going to be in an industry, you have to understand the history of the industry. It's, it's like anything else. Right. You know, the history of our country, uh, where we are today is based on history of prior wars and, and empire uh, political parties and things like that. So if you really want to understand the dynamics in play, you got to go back in time. And, and G4 yeah. was the precursor. I think Comcast is trying to bring it back. Uh, mm-hmm. I know they're throwing some money at it. I don't know if they'll be successful, but I believe they own because they own um, NBC, that they own all the content from G4. So, yeah, so G4 kind of, you know, morphed into Machinima and and then, you know, Twitch and, and what have you. So you leave Machinima. You still want to create content because I get the sense from you that you have a passion about content creation. So you're not going to give up that passion. Yeah. Yeah. So this was actually, um, you know, in, in this time frame, I was pretty young still. So. I joined, uh, signed on to Machinima when I was, I, I believe I was 16. Um, wow. 16 or, yeah, 16 or 18. Uh, I signed on to Machinima where I was a content creator there, what you'd call a, a director um, in, in that space where we basically just have rights to use their intros. We're uh, monetizing through the Machinima platform and whatnot. So we leave, I leave Machinima. And this is actually uh, what's so interesting and kind of like the, the, whole timeframe of my career, this is when I stopped creating content and I actually left the gaming scene for a while. So as a, as a young, uh, as a teenager, I, uh, I was making money, but we weren't making millions then. Right. And obviously nobody knew the opportunity that was to come, but that was very soon to come. Uh, so I ended up stopping to actually go to college and pursue just the traditional degree. Uh, a parent's and, dream. A kid left gaming and went to college. God, go figure that, right? Yeah. My mom will actually put it on herself all the time um, that I was the reason 
she was the reason that I stopped gaming and didn't become a millionaire, uh, you know, sooner be, or didn't become a millionaire because I, she they wanted me to go to college, but it was, it wasn't really her. Uh, I also was kind of feeling the fatigue and as a teenager, you know, like, and having no insight or vision into what would actually become in the gaming atmosphere. And nobody I didn't knew. really have any regret at the time. And I don't think people still know, to be honest. No, they don't. You know, they don't because then there are a couple of conversations that we have upcoming uh, with people that own esports teams or run esports teams. And and that's a challenge from a business model. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I want to go back. So you went you you kind of sort of leave gaming. You go to college and you study something like uh, traditional, like political science, economics, world history. Yeah. Yeah, close. I, I went. I went, and uh, well, I thought I was going to be uh, like a physical therapist for some reason, okay. and I ultimately ended up being a business major with the focus in marketing. And I, uh, as I was studying and as I was going through college, I, I kind of stepped back into the gaming atmosphere on YouTube again. I found myself continuing to walk, to take steps backwards to find to where to find out to find where I was before to get back into that place. I wanted to so desperately be uh, on a team, on the team that I was. I wanted to be, um, you know, have the subscribers that I had. I wanted to have that established because after I had stopped, it wasn't two to three years later, um, not even maybe a year and a half later that people started to make real money from this. And it was a ton of money. And it was a big regret of mine back then. you know, only time will tell what happens. And, uh, and yeah, so I just went down the, the traditional route of getting a business degree focused in marketing. And I knew that I loved gaming still. So I was uh, applying to gaming companies throughout college, uh, as like my junior and senior trying to get internships, trying to get jobs in the gaming atmosphere. Um, and I, uh, I actually ended up interviewing for Ubisoft for a, a position there. And, uh, I ultimately didn't get it, but, uh, I then just took the opportunity that I had was uh, to just have like a, an entry-level marketing position at a company near my hometown. And that's what I did. And that's how many years back, roughly, just to give some context to it? Yes. So that would have been in 2017 is when I took that position. Yeah. And so, so now you create lots of content. You represent other influencers across all channels or with a primary focus on TikTok? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we do. So, so, so um, why, why the primary focus? Cause I've got some specific TikTok and, and there are a couple other things we'll, we'll talk about in terms of collegiate sports and health and wellness uh, shortly, but why TikTok more so than YouTube or well, Twitter is, is kind of just, it's, it's not really a channel for that, but, but why TikTok? I mean, TikTok has certainly grown tremendously. Why did you choose that distribution channel more so than any of the other ones? That's a great question. And to, to kind of put more context into my answer here, um, I kind of want to take, take a step back and uh, mention that I also was an early investor into, well, kind of an early adopter on what we, uh, what was Mixer? Do you remember what oh, Mixer sure, was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I was on Mixer the first year that it was actually created. It was Bean. Um, so 
I've been a very early on to adopt a lot of these platforms. YouTube, I was on in 2009, right? As a gamer, Mixer. You know, it's so funny you brought up Mixer. Uh, it's shocking, you know, much like we just referenced with Machinima. Mixer yeah. ultimately obviously had massive resources available to it, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because of uh, Microsoft. And uh, they couldn't make a go of it. That's crazy. I mean, and I, yeah, I really, yeah, I I honestly don't know what happened there either. It it was out of the blue. It was totally for us, at least as the creator side of things, not working inside on the industry. That was totally. um, What's, you know, it's interesting you say that because they had this gorgeous studio on Fifth Avenue, New York, on the third floor of the Microsoft store. And it was absolutely stunning and perfect and what have you. And nobody used it. And they kept wanting uh, people to create content for them. And I'm, I, I know of a, and I, the name escapes me, and it's kind of irrelevant, a video production company in Van Nuys, California, that produced something in the neighborhood of 65 pilots for them. And not one of them was greenlit that they trashed every single one of the 60 pilots. Now, I can tell you, uh, knowing the people there, not all 60 were worthy of anybody seeing them, but there was plenty, and none of them uh, made it. And then at the end, they went out and they took, um, they gave Ninja uh, 25 or $30 million to go from, Twitch to Vixer, and then they shut it down 90 days later after they paid him. Ninja went back to YouTube and got the same amount of money twice. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. So as an early adopter of, of all these platforms, is it that experience that you looked at TikTok and what started as a short-form content play, you go, oh, that makes a lot of sense let's do that exactly yeah so in this space i think it's very important to not only be an early adopter of certain platforms certain technology it doesn't necessarily need to be the platform you can be an early adopter of technology in it within it um it's also about uh you know like playing your cards right uh, in that sense and bringing content to the platform that is kind of unprecedented so TikTok, whenever I started it, um, and it kind of the reason why I focused on TikTok was it's this dancing app mm-hmm. that's slowly becoming, I saw it slowly kind of trickle into a couple of my friends' uh, phones. So as I'm like playing volleyball on a Sunday, I have a friend who's showing me he has a TikTok. And for some reason, he has 20,000 followers on it. I'm like, huh? <laughs> right. You're like, hey, you're that so wait, what? Who are you? <laughs> Right. And he's like, no, I just post these dumb videos. I, I cook some chicken nuggets and I made a shape out of it. And now I've got all these. And I'm like, okay, interesting. I had another friend who picked it up and, uh, and he posted uh, a video of actually him getting killed by Ninja on, uh, like, I think it was, uh, apex or something. I can't remember the game. It was a shooter. And, uh, that video got a lot of views for him. And I was like, Okay. Like at that point, at that certain, at that point, right then it was about, um, March or April of 2020. So about two years ago, 
I knew I had to be on the platform and I knew I had to go all in on the platform and there was nothing else that was going to stop me from doing that. All right. And so and, you're, you're doing that. Yeah. Um, right. And the content creation, I know you, you have a passion for collegiate esports, um, and I can't go um, a full session without talking about where does health and wellness content fit in uh, for some of your creators or your own creation. Health and wellness is so important in gaming, especially in the competitive side of things. And I, I feel like it's it's so untapped as well. And there's more there's more and more competitors and, and uh, brands entering the space all the time. But I think. Uh, like even behind me, I, I don't want to really like uh, represent them with this podcast. But at the same time, I do have like supplemental drinks behind me, right? Like mixes. Right. Um, so health and wellness is so important to content creation and to competitive gaming because if you're not in the right state of mind, you will never succeed at any of that. So and what I have found since both sides of things. since um, I run Skins, which is a health and wellness company with a focus on on gaming, uh, what I yeah. find is a lot of the younger creators, influence esport athletes uh, have a sense of in, in, invincibility. So that if if they're um, tired, they'll just down a Red Bull. If they have pain, they don't really look for a topical pain relief. They're not necessarily in tune to healthy ingredients. It's more about the result of the ingredient, whether it's full of sugar or over-caffeinated or over-sodiumed or whatever that happens to be. Do you see the, the younger gamer being invincible or, or creator and they're not necessarily receptive to good health patterns? You'll see that a lot. Especially as a younger gamer, um, I, I think the way the reason why they do that as well is because they aren't themselves in the game, and they're able to escape that while they're gaming. So if you have pain, it's very weird. It's like a phenomenon. If I'm in pain and I start up a game, or if I am hungry, and you you, you probably know this very well, like if, if you're hungry and I can start up a match. I am sunk into that game for at least 40 minutes and I'll totally forget that I'm hungry. Right. Right. So I think that same mentality goes to the, uh, like the same yeah, point. I think the only thing you can saying. forget when you get that immersed is if you have to go to the bathroom. Right. I mean, uh, everything Even else, then, I think you can, you, you know, hold it. You, yeah, you can try to, um, you can try. For, for a certain period of time and, um, and then it gets uh, progressively more difficult. So you spend most of your time now creating your own content, representing influencers or representing uh, or consulting to brands. What, what's that split? Yes. yes. So I would say it's all equally split. Um, yeah. To the best of my ability, there's a lot <laughs> I'm kind of juggling. Um, but I, I like to focus uh, a lot on um the consultation side of things and as well as the content creation side. And then I'm always trying to expand uh, when working with influencers and the kind of network that I'm, I'm building there. But I, I essentially try to split it equally um, in all avenues. So something came up um, and I have a couple questions for you. Actually, I got lots of questions, but we're going to do what I said. We'll keep it at 30. We can come back and, and continue the part two of Braden. Uh, in a few weeks. Uh, but what came up 
literally in a conversation about 25 minutes ago, is that TikTok seems to be um, increasing the length of their videos, right? And uh, for brands and for creators, their, su sir, their success came from short video. Do you think it's a good idea for them to go longer? Does it change their, their unique selling proposition? Yeah, that, that's also a very good question. I think they're approaching it very well. The reason why is because the, the, the approach that they're taking is actually allowing you to recognize if it's long form or short form. So if you see a video, I think it's if it's past one minute or maybe even past 30 seconds, you can actually see, um, you know, if you're watching a video, like a video marker at the bottom, right? Play through. Right. So uh, just subconsciously, um, a, a user could actually see that and I'll do this. A user could see that. I'll, I'll see that and I'll skip through if, I, if I'm not ready to commit. But if it's something that really catches my eye, really catches my attention, I can sit through that. And it doesn't matter to me. So I think there's something that they're doing as well. Um, maybe not even that there's other maybe approaches that they're taking, but something as small as that, having a video linked cursor play through at the bottom of the video is so extremely important for their user base. Yeah. No now, question. The user knows what right. they're getting into. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So they're not hiding things and that's, what's really good about it. Their transparency has uh, dramatically improved throughout the time that they've been in the U S market and really ex expanding here. Um, and I think that that's what they're doing correctly is bringing more transparency. They need to do a lot of work with it, especially on the creator side, but bringing more transparency to the platform and, and allowing it to, uh, just the, the freedom of speech for just being the platform to accept anybody and everybody. And that's really how, how they're kind of pivoting and positioning themselves to be. So, so, doing it so my last question, um, and I got to tell you this 30 minutes went like, incredibly quick which i appreciate thank you uh, i talk a lot i'm sorry no 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 it's always interesting it's nothing to do now don't do that don't say that that's not that's not accurate uh, you consult you know influencers and brands so as you sit here today what's your recommendation to an influencer creator today in the marketplace that we have whether you can make a longer uh tiktok video or not and the same question um to a brand whether or not they should make one, whether or, or not what, should, they take what should they be doing on TikTok? What should a brand be doing on TikTok? What should an influencer creator um, in the gaming and certainly in the gaming health wellness space? What would your suggestion be uh, for them to build out a successful channel um, on TikTok? Let's start with a creator. Okay. So a creator, forget about the quality, forget about. Um, uh, it really just focus on your your niche. And if you don't have a niche, you should probably find some sort of niche to focus down and just post. Literally just keep posting and be true to yourself. Be authentic with your posts. Okay. So and, and that's you, you, the best I guess advice, if I could summarize and authenticity. You want yeah. them to, to create content that they are passionate and they personally care about and not something that says, hey, this will be good and people are going to like it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Because that state of mind, honestly, it's not about 
whether the content will work or not. Both forms of content can work, but it's the longevity and it's the passion, um, really what will, what will play shine through in the end. Because if you're creating content simply to create content because you think it's successful and you're not passionate about it, I guarantee a year or two down the line, you're going to be totally burnt out. You're not going to want to do it anymore. That audience that you built up has no relevance to the type of content that you want to create now that you're actually passionate about. And now you've wasted all that time for no reason. So the converse of that then is the question to the brands because brands um, probably have a trouble have trouble um, associating with the right influencer and creator and gamer that has content or can create content that's authentic and relevant to the brand. What do you tell them to do? So whenever I approach a brand or whenever I'm working with a brand to either contract out work for myself or maybe another influencer uh, creator. Um, and for, and I also want to mention, I don't like to refer to myself as an influencer and a lot of other creators don't like that as well. And we, I, I, I would prefer creator. Okay. Um, but as a brand, uh, it's really key to look at influencers or creators who, um, are producing exactly the type of content that I'm, that I'm mentioning. So I think you could see, you could see passion behind content by consistency as well. So if they're consistent with this content, if, if you can read the audience, the engagement rate from, um, from these videos as well, uh, those are all signs that, I mean, you know, this is a, a creator that you should work with. And also brands looking to, uh, pay creators for one-off campaigns is just simply it, it yeah. sometimes will work, but a lot of times it's not as successful as creating a lasting relationship that will produce authentic or authentic content and bring in uh, a user base who really trusts in that creator and also wants to back them by supporting a brand that they support as well. So that's the type of approach that most brands need to be taking and that most brands don't realize either because they just want to pay a creator a hundred dollars. First of all, they want to lowball everybody. A lot of times you want to pay a creator a very low amount of money just to, to yeah, I mean, so, so much a brand in right. that space is the fear of missing out, that there's not a strategic right. uh, platform, if you will, from the brand to say, one, why are we doing this? What, what are the metrics we're, we're going to get out? Are we looking for awareness? Are we looking for conversion and, and all the different things that the, the different metrics that, that brands have to go through? And do they want to do it geographically, uh, U.S., North America or, or whatever? Are you still bullish on TikTok? Do you think there's any other platform that you would also recommend uh, people put their toe in or utilize? I'm, I'm very bullish on TikTok still. I'll, I'll be honest there. Um, and I think there are a ton of features that have not released yet that are going to be very game changing to the platform itself. Very and cool. uh, yeah, but I also think that um, honestly, Facebook and I know it gets a lot of hate, not Facebook itself, but just the meta. Uh, Meta right. and uh, Instagram in particular, uh, even the Facebook platform itself. But I, I don't think Facebook is, is worth to invest in. But Meta is is really trying very hard uh, to invest in creators and um, help creators monetize. And that's something that a lot of creators are struggling with as well. As you probably know, TikTok doesn't pay much through like the creator fund. There's no native ad support on the platform itself. So. True. Uh, so Meta is really taking an approach to 
to trying uh, to to back creators monetarily. And I think that is uh, a very good approach that they're taking. I don't know how long lasting that will actually be, uh, depending on how TikTok uh, pivots their approach, right? If they introduce new features or not. But I think Instagram is worth looking into. Um, TikTok has the biggest reach right now, though. It has the most promise to women you're really trying to get an idea out there and get backing with it uh, or just share your content and get some type of feedback. TikTok has the most organic and consistent reach out of any platform. And I think that is really where you, you should probably put your time and effort into. But it doesn't hurt to try other platforms just to see if it works for you or not. Yeah, without a doubt. Shepherd Media is uh, available for creators uh, and brands. Braden, I appreciate the time. There are about four more questions, but I'm going to save them for another session. Uh, thank you for your time. I respect the 30 minutes we uh, set aside and uh, appreciate the insights. And we'll continue to look for you on TikTok. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate your time as well. And uh, I'm looking well, forward to speaking to you again. All right. We'll be in touch. Thanks, dude. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the MAP Esports Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to leave us a review and follow us on your favorite podcast player.